Please stand and join me in the reading of our scripture this morning. 1 Peter 3, 8-12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, Maybe Chad should just stay up here. What do you think, Chad? How many people think that Chad needs to buy some nice white wingtips to go with that white belt he's sporting, huh? Maybe a polyester blue leisure suit. I love all of that. Uh, Wow. Somehow I'm in a transition to the sermon at this point. Welcome on, on this Valentine's Day. It's crisp. A crisp Valentine's Day for you. You are those who won the car starting lottery this morning. And so it's wonderful to have you here. Our sermon series is on the book of 1 Peter. And so I want to invite you to turn to that passage that Chad just read for us. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. When I was a kid, there used to be a, a show on that I would watch occasionally called Sesame Street. Some of you may be familiar with the show. Uh, but regularly, the show was sponsored by a particular letter or number, right? Today's show was sponsored by the letter. Anyone remember this from Sesame Street? Anyone? Yeah, you get it? I, I bring this up because uh, Kenny pointed out to me a couple of weeks ago that our study in the book of First Peter seems to be sponsored by the letter H. Everything is coming back to the letter H, starting with the primary theme of the book of First Peter, which is hope. Peter is writing to a group of people who are going through incredibly hard times. They are poor. They're being persecuted. Many of them face the challenges of knowing relatives or friends who are getting thrown in jail for their faith or being persecuted for their faith. And in the midst of that hardship and that challenge, he writes to them this letter in which he says, you guys, life is filled with this astounding living hope. How is it that they could have this hope? The first chapter says they have that hope because of what Jesus did, bringing them in to be a part of God's family. And now as a part of God's family, they have this astounding inheritance. And where is that inheritance kept for them? Do you remember the second H? Right? That inheritance is kept in heaven for them. And so you have this constant abiding hope when you're in this life because he said on four different occasions in the book just thus far you're exiles or sojourners. You're just temporary venturers here. Your real life as children of God is kept for you. Your hope is kept in heaven. And so we look forward to that and as those who have that hope in heaven, he said they all have the same aim in life then. And that aim is to be holy. End of chapter 1. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. 
And then through the first half of chapter 2, he talked all about the fact that we have been called into a community of people who are a holy priesthood. We've been called together so that we can be a group of people who are seeking to become more and more like Christ. That's the purpose for us being together. And so that is our, our third H, right? Those who have hope that's kept in heaven for them live lives that are holy. They seek to live lives that are holy. And then he gets to his first application of what holiness looks like. And he spends several verses saying holiness and its first application for you is about honor and submission to human authorities. That's First Peter's primary application, his first application of what holiness looks like. It's about honoring and submitting and obeying the human authorities around you. And we saw that in chapters last week that dealt with honoring, obeying, and submitting in the home, in the workplace, to government authorities. And it does bring up the question, why? If you're going to talk about holiness, do you start in this place where, oh, please dismiss flood rising students now. Uh, go. Maybe that already happened. Uh, maybe. Great. Anyone else who's in middle school is free to go. Or if you're not in middle school, I don't know. Sure. Oh, it's gone. Wow, there's all kinds of stuff they're doing behind my back. How wonderful. Right? Why, why does he say holiness starts with honor and submission to human authorities? And we looked at, to summarize what we looked at last week, let me give you three big reasons why submitting to authorities is a key expression of holiness. First is this, because submission to authorities is submission to God. What did he say in verse 13? That you are to submit to authorities for the Lord's sake. Verse 19, we are to submit being mindful of the Lord. And so when we submit to authorities as believers, it is never because those authorities deserve honor or deserve submission. They rarely do. All of our authorities are imperfect, some of them highly imperfect. And yet the scripture calls us to be subject and honor all of them, even those that are so very unworthy. Why? Because we do it for the Lord's sake. We submit to God in doing that. And so that's our first thing. Jesus, uh, maybe you picked this up in the Through the Gospels in 90 Days reading. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we saw this astounding passage in Matthew chapter 23. Do you remember this? The first three verses of Matthew 23, Jesus says to his disciples and his followers, I want you to listen to and do everything that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tell you to do. And then he says, but don't be like them. Don't don't be like them. Please don't use them as a model for how to live life. They're a mess. They're a disaster. I've been battling them throughout my entire ministry. They're going to deceive people and ultimately put me to death. And he says to his followers, and I want you to submit to and do everything they tell you to do. Because, he says, they sit on Moses' seat. They're the proper authorities among us. And so I want you guys to be obedient to them. They're terrible people. 
I, I oppose their philosophy and their way of doing everything, so don't be like them. But I want you to listen to them and obey them because submission to authorities is submission to God. That's why we submit. Second, we submit to authorities as our practice of holiness because practicing submission is essential to our heart. With every decision that we make in life, we are either expanding our heart of humility and submission or we're expanding our heart of pride and rebellion. And and God says, "I, I want you to be submissive to authorities because every choice you make is a choice of which of those hearts you're going to expand within your life. That's why in Exodus chapter 20, he says, children need to learn to honor and obey their parents and that all of the blessings of the covenant hinge on that. Living long in the land hinges on that. Why? Because living long in the land hinged on them being obedient and submitting to God. Well, how are they going to learn to do that? By enlarging that muscle of humility and submission, by being obedient and submitting to parents. And he says, with every decision, you have an opportunity to enlarge one of those two hearts, the heart of humility and submission, the heart of pride and rebellion. So be a people who enlarge that heart of humility and submission. We saw how important this was last week when Kenny talked to us about the rule of reflection. What is the rule of reflection, right? Do you remember what he said? That everything that is going on in our relationship with God here will ultimately make its way out in our relationships with people here. And so 1 John chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 4 are very clear. I can't claim that I have a love relationship with God here and not be loving people here. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, I can't claim to be living in forgiveness with God here and fail to forgive people here. James 2 says, I can't claim to have mercy in my relationship with God and not live in mercy in my relationships with people. That's the rule of reflection. Whatever is going on here is going to be reflected in our relationships with people. And so if we refuse to submit to human authorities, we have to ask the question, have we ever genuinely submitted and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? It's super important that we are people who practice submission because it forms our heart. Hearts of humility and submission, that's what the gospel is all about. People who bend the knee and are obedient. And finally, we see submission to authorities that we looked at last week. It's such a key expression of holiness because the gospel is our primary motivation. Why do we submit to unjust and unhelpful authorities? Chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 12 tell us in large part because it helps the gospel to move forward. Because our primary aim is how are we impacting the lives of these authorities with the gospel? For the believer, their primary aim is never how do I get my wants? How do I assure my rights? How do I live according to some other philosophy? For the believer, the motivation is always how do I touch these people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I've given up all my rights, all my wants, to become whatever is needed in order to reach a few with the gospel. The example we saw last week was Jesus, who had every single one of his rights violated, and yet did all that he did in order to allow the gospel to move forward through him. And so we are called to be a people whose primary motivation in all things is the gospel. Not not our wants, not our rights, not our philosophies, but ultimately, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward? 
through what we're doing. And so the first application of what holiness looks like in the lives of those who have hope is honor and submission for authorities. Now in today's passage that Chad read for us, he's going to move on to talk about how holiness is to be lived out in all of our daily relationships. And he starts with holiness in relationships among the believers. How do we relate to each other and what does holiness look like in the lives that we live together in the body of Christ? Verse 8, if you look at it right now, has five words that he uses. The first is unity of mind. What does holiness, what does holiness look like in the body of Christ? It looks like unity of mind. This is really hard, isn't it? Unity of mind? How do we do with that as people, this unity of mind business? You know why it's so hard? Because I have a favorite kind of unity of mind. You know what it is? It's when you see things my way. You also have a favorite kind of unity of mind. You know what it is? When I see things your way. What are the chances that there will ever be unity of mind as long as you have people who will only be united if others see things their way? And so how is it possible that this constant New Testament call for unity of mind among the body of Christ can take place? It can only take place when I give up my way of thinking and you give up your way of thinking and we spend our entire lives seeking to have all of our decisions be motivated by Jesus' way of thinking. It's the only way there can be unity of mind. Not with me seeking to have you see things my way, or you seeking to have me see things your way, but with both of us agreeing that in everything that goes on, we are going to seek to see things Jesus' way as he has expressed them in his word. That takes humility of mind. An ability to say, I fully submit my thinking in all things to Jesus because he's what matters. I fully submit in all things to God and to his word and to what the Spirit has taught us here. In everything, I'm going to take a back seat to what God has to say because he is what is important. My dad was talking to a denominational executive last week. And the denominational executive had been talking to some other people within this particular denomination. And they all agreed that they thought that about a third of the pastors that they know within that denomination would leave their churches in the next 12 to 18 months. And when my dad asked the denominational executive, why? Why is that? He said, purely out of frustration. Purely out of frustration. Because, because these pastors that these denominational executives are talking to they believed going into the last 11 months that their people made decisions primarily based on the Word of God. And what they have seen over the last 11 months is that people make decisions based on all sorts of their own personal wants, rights, and philosophies, and that rarely they say, I'm making this decision because the Bible teaches X, Y, and Z. And because of that, there's this tremendous amount of pastoral frustration. People are saying, I'm out. I think there's some immaturity in that kind of pastoral expression, to be honest with you. Uh, pastors are called to be shepherds over sheep. What are sheep? We, call, we talk about this all the time. Uh, dumb, defenseless, and dirty, right? Those are the three things that characterize sheep. And so if you're a shepherd and you're like, oh, people are hard, I'm out, maybe it's not the right line of work for you. 
But there is something to that frustration. That over the last 11 months during this COVID season, so many people are making decisions based upon their wants, based upon their rights, based upon their political philosophies, based upon their family of origin discussions. And so rarely are they saying, the scripture informs my decision in these passages, therefore I'm making this decision. This is so very important for us. If we're ever going to have unity of mind, it can only come when we seek to be united around the mind of Christ that he has given to us. Unity of mind and humility of mind, that's holiness within the body of Christ. Sympathy and a tender heart, also how holiness is expressed within the body of Christ. These are very interesting words here. The Greek word for sympathy means to have compassion and care for you from my heart. The Greek word for a tender heart, often translated compassion, means to have care and concern for you from my gut, literally from my bowels. And so there is this sense in which holiness is care and concern for you from all parts of my body here. Right? All that I am is to, be care, is to care about you and can be concerned for you, particularly if you're going through hard and challenging times. I want you to notice that he doesn't say here, I want you to have sympathy and be tender-hearted if you're a mercy person. Right? He doesn't say, I want you to have sympathy and be tender-hearted if you're touchy-feely. That's not the call here. The call here is for every believer to be a person who has sympathy and a tender heart, who feels for others who cares deeply for others and then acts out of that. I want to share an example with you of a person who has really been a wonderful model for me of sympathy and a tender heart. But because they're here as a part of this body regularly, I don't want you to share it with them so he doesn't get a big head. Okay? But honestly, over the last four or five months, the opportunity I've had to work with Kenny... Uh, has been a constant expression of him showing sympathy and tender-heartedness towards me. Uh, it, it has been, a, a, I don't know, so refreshing to have him express constant sympathy and tender-heartedness towards me. Now, you can't say anything about this, okay? We're, we're agreed. We don't say anything about this so that whoosh, that doesn't happen. But he's regularly asking me about how certain things are going in my life. Things where I go, how do you remember that? Right? But he, he cares, and he's asking me about them, and he's asking how he can pray for them, and then he's regularly checking in with me to make sure that if I'm overloaded in an area, he can take some of that because he is practicing sympathy and tenderheartedness towards me. And God's call towards sympathy and tenderheartedness is not just for Shakopee campus pastors. It's for all believers. That's to be all of us. We are to regularly and actively be looking around at those that we're around, feeling for them, caring for them from our gut, from our heart, and then acting on that in order to care for them. That's holiness in the body of Christ. And of course, these things are all ultimately expressed through brotherly love that we show for each other. We show brotherly love as the way that we express holiness. Uh, I read a story this last week about a young man who attended D.L. Moody's church in Chicago. He was in the sixth grade, 
And he would walk three miles to Moody's church and three miles back home every Sunday in order to attend that church. It, it gets cold in Chicago. Maybe not as cold as today here, but it gets cold in Chicago. He didn't care. He would walk the three miles each and every Sunday and the three miles home. And one day, the Sunday school teacher of his sixth grade boys' Sunday school asked him, why do you come to church so far away? Why don't you go to one of the churches near your home or one of the churches you pass on the way here? The teacher expected the fame of Moody to be the answer and was surprised when the boy simply answered, because you know how to love a fellow over here. Right? Let, let that be true of us. That people are excited to be a part of this community because we know how to love people here. Jesus says, that's the identifier that you're my body, doesn't he? In John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's right, if you love one another. It's the identity marker that we're God's people, that we love each other well. We, we've talked about identity markers before and I've held up like my little planet fitness tag that I have because I'm a part of that very exclusive gym. And I have that tag because I'm a part of that community at Planet Fitness. And if you're not a part of the community at Planet Fitness, chances are you don't have one of those tags, right? Because it's kind of the marker to say you're in or you're out. And Jesus says, hey, the marker that you're my people, that you're in, it's that you love each other and love each other well. That's the identity marker of my people. We're called to this kind of sacrificial brotherly love for each other. As you look at these five things that are about how we express holiness in our relationships in the body, is God calling you to anything here? Right? Is there any way in which pride has been a part of your mindset and unity and humility of mind need to be a champion today? Is there anyone that you can think of around you where you go, they really need sympathy. Like I need to care for them in a tender-hearted way where I need to show brotherly love to them today. Because that's what holiness looks like within the body of Christ. Now the Spirit of God brings Peter's pen in verse 9 from those who are a part of the body of Christ to those who aren't a body, part of the body of Christ and, and who actually may mistreat you. And so in verse 9, when he's talking about those who are opposed to you, those who will mistreat you, he says holiness looks like this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The world's way is when someone hurts you, do what? Hurt them back. Right? If somebody hurts you, hurt them back. Usually with our words, but maybe in other ways. And what we see here is that the believer has a totally different way to handle it when someone hurts them, when someone mistreats them. They don't mistreat back. They don't intentionally hurt back. Instead, last week, he said, Jesus is your example. Jesus was ultimately hurt and mistreated. And did he strike back? Was that how he handled it? I sang in a song once when I was a kid that he could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. I believe he could have overwhelmed his enemies by the word of his mouth, but he didn't. 
if I was hanging there instead of Jesus. It would have been so hard. Even if I, even if I was hanging there knowing that I needed to do this for the salvation of people, it would have been so hard in my flesh not to look at those people who had put me up there and with a real Clint Eastwood glare say, see you at the judgment, punks. Right? And wouldn't that have been hard? Like th- These people have betrayed you. They've been dishonest. They're murdering you. And instead he says what? Father, forgive them. What? Right? Father, forgive them. Do not repay evil for evil. That isn't the believer's way. That's the world's way. That's not the believer's way. But instead, what do we do? The next part of the verse. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. When others are jerks, when others persecute, what are we to do? We're to do good in return. Jesus says we're to love our enemies, right? And to pray for those who persecute us. How are we doing at that as the American church right now? Loving enemies, praying for those who persecute us. We're to be a people who don't strike back, who don't repay evil for evil, but instead overcome evil with good, right? Overcome evil with good. And if you need any motivation for that, look at the next line of verse 9. That you may obtain a blessing. God says he's going to bless those who are hurt, who are persecuted, and return good for evil rather than evil for evil. He says, I'm going to reward you. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says those who are persecuted, who are harmed for the sake of Jesus' name and don't return evil, but instead return good, great will their reward be in heaven. God is going to give great reward to those who overcome evil with good rather than returning evil for evil. We need to let go, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when I was here. We need to let go of the idea of heaven as a socialist eternal future so that it does not matter how we live here on the earth. We all get the same thing there, right? The scripture does not teach that. The scripture teaches that we all absolutely enter heaven only through the grace of God. Right? Only by the grace of God and, and only through believing in Jesus Christ. But for those who will be in heaven because of the grace of God and their faith in Jesus Christ, they will be rewarded with all kinds of different rewards and opportunities within that kingdom. That the Bible makes clear. And Jesus says one of the primary ways that we can receive those heavenly rewards is by not returning evil for evil. But when we are persecuted, returning good for evil and standing for the name of Jesus. We're to be a people who do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we respond in holiness to those who mistreat us. And so now after talking about how we're to respond in holiness to those in the body and how we respond to those who mistreat us, he deals with a more general sense of holiness in verse 10. Four, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anyone in favor of loving life and seeing good days? Right? Psalm 34 is what is being quoted here. Right? And if we want to love life and see good days, what does that look like? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
we are not to use our words for evil or deceit. So what does that mean we are to use them for? Good and truth, right? Not evil and deceit, but good and truth, which is why the Bible is so very clear that we are to be careful, not careless, about the words that we speak. Because they're always to be good and true, never to be damaging, never to be words that are deceitful or evil. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Are our words supposed to be careful or careless? It's pretty clear. Jesus says, I want you to be careful about the words that you speak, which is why in James 1.19, we read, Now this, my, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What are we supposed to be when it comes to our words? Quick to hear. Active listening, because it shows we care for others more than we just want to blurt about ourselves. Active listening. But we're also to be slow to speak. Right? Careful about our words. Absolutely careful about our words. Who, who is this instruction to? It's to introverts, right? To those who are shy? I'm pretty sure it's to every believer. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It isn't that we're not supposed to speak, but we're to choose our words wisely. They're to be loving words, good words. And when words are many, it's harder for our filter to work. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? It's harder for our filter to work. Uh, when my kids were young, I don't know, somewhere around this age, someone in our family bought them a 500-gallon pool. Now, if you're having a hard time imagining how big a 500-gallon pool was, I think it was six feet across in diameter. So we're not talking about a particularly big pool, about this high, about six feet across in diameter. And this pool actually came with this little filter that you attached And that filter did a good job on that little 500-gallon pool. As the kids tracked all kinds of grass and weeds into the pool, that filter would take care of it. But can you imagine what would happen if I hooked that little filter up to an Olympic-sized swimming pool? How good a job would it do at filtering that Olympic-sized swimming pool? And what Proverbs is saying here is, if you choose to speak an Olympic-sized swimming pool worth of words it is much harder for your filter to deal with that. Instead, be people who are careful and slow to speak so that the filter can work properly. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We live in a world in which it is popular to just rant to just go off about things. There, there are entire radio shows just dedicated to people who rant for long stretches of time. And God says, I, I don't want my people to be instant ranters. I want my people to be careful and thoughtful and prayerful when they speak because their words are never to be evil, damaging and deceitful. They're always to be good and edifying and truthful. That's the call in our lives. As followers of Jesus, we're to practice what I call holy hesitation. 
holy hesitation. Sounds like I'm in a 60s Batman TV show right now. What is holy hesitation? It's that little pause that we take. Our brains work very quickly, but it's that little pause we take in order to think and pray through, is what I'm about to say helpful, edifying, truthful, good? And I'd encourage all of us to think about that. How do we practice that holy hesitation so that we're not the crazed ranters of the world, but people who are careful about our words so that they are good and they are true? That's what holiness is all about. Holiness is about proper use of our words. And then he continues in holiness in verse 11 and says, let him turn away, right? You want to be holy, here you go. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I want to point out it's not just enough to seek peace, you also have to pursue it. He's doubling up on the pursuit of peace here. Seek it and pursue it. Peace here isn't about emotional calm or a lack of anxiety in your life here. The peace that he is talking about here is relational peace with others. It's being in right relationship with our fellow believers. And he says, you want to be holy, then seek and pursue peace with other people. Jesus taught the importance of this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, when he said, if you're offering your gift in worship before the Lord, and you then remember that somebody out there has something against you, what are you supposed to do at that point? Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. Just stop right there. Go and take care of that broken relationship. Seek peace. And then you can come back and offer your offering and continue to worship the Lord. When Jesus says that, that is... The opposite of what I think he's going to say there. I've shared with you before, what what I think Jesus is going to say there is, when you are worshiping before the Lord and offering your sacrifice before the Lord, and then you remember that there is someone out there that has something against you, first, continue with your worship because there's no greater priority than worshiping God. And then out of the overflow of that worship, go and take care of that relationship. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? No, Jesus says, that broken relationship is so important and so vital. I don't want you to even continue worshiping me until you have gone and taken care of that relationship, sought reconciliation, experienced peace, and then you can continue worshiping in an unhindered way. It's worth us asking ourselves, are there any broken relationships in the body that we need to take care of right now? Is there anyone that we need to seek reconciliation with? God says this is, this is a priority for holiness. Seek, pursue peace with others. All, all of this pursuit of holiness is of the utmost importance we see in verse 12 because we read, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, We just saw in the last verse of our section last week, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, that husbands who do not honor their wives or treat their wives appropriately will have their prayers hindered. We're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
a call to live in righteousness for the sake of your prayers. This is a theme of 1 Peter, where he is trying to help us to understand the number one reason that people's prayer lives are ineffective is that they're not pursuing holiness and righteousness in their life. And that when people are turned and are running the other direction, God is too good a parent to reward that kind of disobedience. He's not going to reward them with answered prayers when they are walking in unholiness. Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I, I can't say this probably enough. The number one reason that people's prayer lives are ineffective is unrepentant sin. The, the failure to seek holiness and righteousness but to live in unholiness instead. What does that look like in your life? We've walked through some different things in this passage that relate to holiness in our relationships. We saw those five words that relate to holiness within the body of Christ. We saw how we're to be holy with those who mistreat us or do evil to us. We've seen what holiness looks like with our words and what holiness looks like in reconciliation of relationship and peace in relationship. What does that look like in your life? As you think about those things, where is God's Spirit calling you to act in in this passage that we've looked at this morning? Our very prayer lives depend upon it. I'm going to encourage you to to take a moment and bow your heads with me and and close your eyes. And I'm going to read the passage again slowly. And as I read the passage slowly, I would invite you to just spend time with God's Spirit, asking Him where He is bringing conviction in your life. Where is He calling on you to be obedient this morning? Finally, all of you, verse 8, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the righteous, I'm sorry, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'm going to close our time in prayer in just a moment, but I want to remind you that as we sing our last song, the ushers will be coming around with offering buckets, walking between the rows. And if 
you would like to give your offering in person today, we could encourage you to do that in those buckets. We would also love to have your connect cards with any prayer requests you have put in those buckets as well so that we can be praying for you. Father, we're thankful for what you have done in sending your son so that we might be redeemed. And and as those who have this amazing hope of a heavenly inheritance that is ours, we want to be a people who live in holiness. We recognize you've called us to be a, a holy priesthood, a group of people set aside for your purposes. Lord, we want to ask that you'd be working in us in the ways that we've seen today in our relationships with each other. Let there be unity. Let there be peace. Let there be compassion. Let there be love. Let us treat those who mistreat us with goodness. Lord, let us be a people whose tongues are under your control. We pray this for the sake of your name going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.